So for a few minutes we're going to look at the uh, message that Jesus has for this church. Uh, the seven churches uh, were real churches. Uh, they're not uh, made up churches. They're not uh, just uh, symbolic churches. They're real. They were real churches. Uh, but broader than simply being real churches, uh, they also do speak of um, the kind of issues that every church faces at different ages and stages in its life and as individuals as well. So it's a message that remains relevant, in other words, for the church today. It's not a message that was just for Sardis or was just for Philadelphia um, because it's part of the living word of God. It's, it's not unlike the, the letters that Paul wrote to uh, the different churches. We're looking at Ephesians in the morning. But here Jesus gives a very... Uh, particular message to each of these churches but there are elements in all of them that I'm sure we can find in all of us so we listen for what God is saying to us and we recognize that what they do speak of uh, is that they speak of uh, the message of the living God in Jesus Christ uh, who has his hand on the churches uh, he holds the seven, the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Uh, as we're told in, in the beginning in chapter 2, he holds them in his hands. And this is, these are, this is Christ's church. And Christ's spirit lives in his church. And therefore Christ has a living and ongoing message for his church and for you and I as uh, members of that church. He has an intense grip on us. He's holding us. And uh, that can be a good thing. If you're lost on a hillside and you've got someone holding your hand who knows the way, that's great. But it can also be a frightening thing in the sense if you're being held back from doing something you want to do by, uh, as a recalcitrant child uh, by a loving parent, you might not be so keen on that particular grip. But this is the living God who has a grip on us and on his church. And this is his church. And he is speaking here to a church in Sardis. Sardis was a, a, a popular and a, a, a successful city. A bit complacent. They, had a, they were a bit like if they had been built on Castle Hill. They were a bit like that. They felt they were impregnable. And uh, that uh, they couldn't be attacked. In, in days when lots of city states and, and that would have been attacked and uh, in their past a couple of times uh, the enemies uh, that they faced sneaked up on them and uh, pillaged them because they weren't prepared they were uh, complacent about their position and they were complacent about their wealth and about their idolatry uh, the idolatrous worship that went on in that city and it seems here that the church was falling into the same kind of mistakes and uh, was comfortable and was peaceful and uh, there wasn't much grit and wasn't much strength and wasn't much of what uh, Athel was speaking about this morning, about the light of the gospel changing them so that they, they brought a friction into the Gentile society in which they lived. So Jesus here, he uses three illustrations as he comes to them and speaks to them, and they're very relevant as we think about 
the message that Jesus might have in our own, both our personal lives, but also our spiritual uh, lives as a church. And I want you to think tonight as well about the church, the congregation, the corporate nature of the gospel here in the congregation. Do I think it's easy to um, be consumerist? It's easy to think you come along to church, the church provides for you, uh, the church does services you rate the sermons out of 10 they're good bad or indifferent you go away and live your life and the church is a kind of add-on or it's a kind of consumerist reality and yet we have here something very far different in jesus understanding of the church as uh, his body of which we all belong to of which there's both an individual and a corporate responsibility so we all belong to the church here and we all have a corporate responsibility uh, to that church, both uh, as individuals and, as I say, as we come together as a people. So Jesus here speaking to uh, Sardis, there doesn't seem to be any raging uh, doctrinal um, um, failures within the church, not massively drifting away from the truth. Um, there's nothing clear that can uh, be revealed as it were uh, as in some of the other churches there's actually not even that much that's terribly good in this church but jesus comes and he uses three illustrations he uses the illustration of being a doctor uh, of being a thief and also of being uh, the master of the roles but you see that briefly as he speaks to the church because uh, he regards the church here like a patient uh, and uh, he uh, regards himself as the one who knows uh, the needs of that patient. I know, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So the reputation is that the, the, the church, uh, maybe among other churches, and maybe even within Sardis, hey, this is a, this is a good church. This it's a, it had a reputation of being a vibrant kind of living church, of being alive. They had lots of things. They were busy all week. And uh, they came together, and when they sung, the singing was wonderful. And all these kind of things that gave the impression that things were good. It was busy, it was active. Um, didn't seem to be any heresy there. There also doesn't seem to be much persecution going on, which maybe gives us a hint. But uh, there was an inoffensiveness about this church, which gave it a reputation in the community and possibly in the wider church, we're not clear, uh, but certainly it had a reputation of being alive, being a vibrant church. And yet uh, there's such damning uh, uh, diagnosis here by Jesus who says, I know your works, I know you. Isn't that, he doesn't need to say anything else, does he? And that is a challenge for us this evening, isn't it? Always, however we present However we come before God or come before one another, however we think we're living our lives, let us take, if we take nothing else, let us take the words of Jesus who says, I know you. I, I know you. I know what you're like in your inner being. I know what the reputation you have is. I know what you have as a reputation as a church, as St. Columbus potentially. But he says, I know what you are like spiritually he says that to Sardis and he says uh, you are dead you have a reputation for being alive but you are dead there's a serious sickness in their soul 
It's not presenting, just like somebody who could look well and who doesn't give any signs of being unwell, but who is rushed into ICU when they have a heart attack that is potentially fatal. And it is the same spiritually, that spiritually it needn't be, what God is saying here is it needn't be that it is obvious and it is patently clear that you're spiritually dead in a church context. But Christ knows our hearts. And that is a hugely significant thing. And so for us, part of the challenge is one, that reputation is insignificant at one level. If that is what we're relying on, it's not that it doesn't matter how we live, of course, but if we are leaning on that, if we are looking for the praise and adulation of other churches or other people because of our reputation, you're a great Christian, you're a great preacher, you're a great person in the congregation, you do great things. If, if that is where we are looking for our identity and our significance and not caring for our internal relationship with God, then uh, Jesus is saying, is warning us of not leaning on our reputation. He is saying that corporately, which is why prayer and the prayer life we live, both corporately and individually, and personally, you must be looking after your heart. And I'll go on to say a little bit more about that. But remember that basically there is a, a church here that has a reputation of being a living church, an active church. The Christians in it have a reputation of being living and active and have a reputation of being alive. However that uh, um, uh, revealed itself in, in the church in that day. And yet Jesus says, I know your heart. Now please take that as we uh, consider ourselves. Think of Amos, Amos chapter chapter 5 verse 21 I hate God says I hate I despise he says your religious feasts I cannot stand your assemblies away with the noise of your songs I will not listen to the music of your harps he's saying he isn't really if we are leaning and depending on our gatherings are simply being together the wonderful way that we can sing and the professionalism of our Christian lives if that is uh, taking away from our personal relationship with Christ, then uh, he hates that because it's hypocrisy. And as we know, that's what Jesus hates more than anything, is hypocrisy. Woe to you. We did this not that long ago. No, we didn't actually, sorry. Uh, I just did it. <laughs> uh, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites, you're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones. Jesus said it as it was. Didn't he? he didn't mess about as we saw this morning. Uh, uh, the Holy Spirit through Paul and Ephesians as well. Uh, in the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous. But on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Now that is, that is searingly um, challenging to each of us. As the light of the gospel shines into our hearts, whatever we might be on the outside in terms of righteousness, we may be uh, full of hypocrisy and uncleanness on the inside. And that is the kind of issue that Jesus is dealing with here in the church in Sardis. It seemed to be a good going church, but it wasn't a good going church. Uh, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. They were about to die. 
Okay? The church was about to die. The Christians were about to die. And there is a great challenge in that for you and for me. However, we appear on the outside. Uh, there is this great uh, need to consider uh, what is dying. It's our personal uh, relationship with Christ through the reading of the word. Is our personal walk with Christ through prayer. When was the last time we shared our faith with anyone from our hearts? Uh, because we have a story to tell. When was the last time that anyone came to faith through our life or witness? The vibrant living witness in life that we have. These are questions um, as we think of the intensity of the importance of the gospel in our hearts. Uh, we need to ask about what is uh, about to die. What, what is drifting from our ongoing Christian life? What, what are we jettisoning, jettisoning in our Christian life? Are we keeping going with church because that's outside and everyone sees us and because it's a routine? But have we jettisoned the personal, private, individual walk with Christ because no one sees that? And if you were honest with yourself and you looked in the mirror of Scripture, could it be that you or I have to say we're about to die? Or, as Christ says here, you're in, effectively you're dead. You know, your heart has grown cold and uh, you are living a hypocritical life because your heart and your desires are for what we saw this morning, the kind of lifestyle that we ought to be dead to as Christians. So it's a very challenging uh, message as he makes his diagnosis as the spiritual kind of um, physician, doctor. But he gives a cure, and that's always the encouraging bit, isn't it? He's not saying that you're beyond hope. He doesn't want anyone to leave Scripture uh, and um, uh, with a counsel of despair and say, oh, well, I never was a Christian. I can't be here. There's no hope for me. Because uh, as always with his warnings, he is wanting to draw us back from the edge. And maybe some of you here this evening are just on the edge of being about to die inside. Masking it well, but inside, about to die. And you know it. You know it this evening. You've come with heavy feet to the house uh, of worship. You've come not really wanting to be here. You've dragged yourself from something that was much better fun. And what's inside is about to die. And he gives us this cure, and it is, it's a command. It's an imperative. We've heard that word quite a lot. We're learning our English grammatical phrases these days. It's an imperative. There we have, wake up, he says. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. I've not found your works complete. Remember then what you've received and heard. Keep it and repent. So we have five things there very quickly in terms of a cure. You, know, you go to the doctor and you want to receive something that will make you better. Uh, you've got to take your tablets every day. You've got to take them. Katrina's had to take her tablets every four hours, morning, noon and night, and during the night. So you need to wake up to take them. She has to do that if there's to be a cure. And we also need to listen to what God says spiritually to us as uh, we maybe analyze our lives and see a spiritual dryness and deadness and even hypocrisy that sometimes is surely there in our lives. He says, wake up. Now, you know, that was very, that was very meaningful to the people of Sardis because twice they'd been sleeping as a city 
uh, when uh, they were complacent because of their ramparts and where they thought they were safe and they'd been rampaged and pillaged. So it meant something to them. Look, wake up. It may have happened in your city, but don't let it happen to you spiritually. Be alert. Uh, don't uh, be in a spiritual stupor in your life, but rather um, be alive again. Wake up to the significance of where you are. And that's an interesting thing, isn't it? That he command the one who holds the seven uh, spirits, the one who has the spirit of God. The, the spirit belongs to the church. He says he commands his spirit-filled church to wake up. He doesn't say um, just wait. He doesn't say you can't wake up because you haven't got any power. He says, wake up. He says, be alert and wake up to the reality of your situation. Take it seriously. You can't do anything when you're sleeping. And he wants us to wake up. And uh, that is uh, what we must do. And in waking up, we then strengthen what remains. Uh, strengthen what remains is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. And he wants them to get back to basics. You know, if you are dangerously ill and uh, you nearly die, there is a rehab period, rehabilitation, where you strengthen the basic things. You learn to sleep again, you learn to eat again, you learn to breathe again, and you sometimes have to start right from the beginning. Uh, and he says it's a spiritual rehab for us sometimes, that we need to strengthen uh, what is significant and what is important. We need to uh, uh, get back to uh, the basics of our Christian lives, the very basics. So the things that you did at first, when you woke up in the morning, you spent time with God on your own, you know, they talk about quiet times and sometimes, you know, the kind of 21st century church mocks that discipline in some ways or other. But it's, it's just simply about being in touch with the living God. It doesn't matter when you do that. But take time to, be, to speak with your God, to let his light shine into the darkness of your heart. It takes time. It, we can't do it without time. That's something I've recognized uh, just afresh again recently how important it is to make the time to strengthen what remains we can't live the christian life on a wing and a prayer sorry that's not a very good illustration but you know the phrase i mean uh, uh, it is a prayer is important but you can't just um, skim through our christian life and dip into church and hope that the odd service and uh, uh, the odd bit of fellowship will keep us going. There needs to be the time when we allow his light to shine and expose the darkness and the greed and the selfishness and the independent spirit that we have. We need to, to be in his word. We need to speak in with him. We need to be prayerful and uh, recognize all that comes strengthening uh, the basic works of Christian living, the basic uh, service of loving God and loving uh, one another. That is a hugely significant thing. And as we are doing that, it will transform the way we are in the world in which we live so that we start becoming a grace-filled irritant in the world we live. That was the problem with Sardis. They had stopped becoming an irritant in the world. Uh, they were comfortable. They had a good reputation. Everyone loved them. Because they had nothing to say. I've got a great quote from uh, the uh, 
tremendous commentator. Um, I did have here as I, um, Leon Morris, who, who commentates on uh, um, the letters to the seven churches, and he said, "This church may have pleased men, but it didn't please God. Nothing it did was complete in the sight of God. Its works were not brought to fulfilment. Why did both Jews and Romans leave this church undisturbed?" unlike some of its neighbours, the answer may well be its lack of aggressive and positive Christianity, content with mediocrity, lacking both the enthusiasm to entertain a heresy and the depth of conviction which provokes intolerance. It was too innocuous to be worth persecuting. It was too innocuous to be worth persecuting. People just passed by in Sardis when they saw the church because it was a nothing church it didn't really do anything other than have a good reputation it was too innocuous to be opposed and it didn't really believe anything properly so that that would be the conviction which drove its life as a church and as individuals and that to me is challenging it's challenging for me personally it's challenging for saint columbus and for our individual lives and our testimony. Strengthen what remains. Remember, he says, thirdly, uh, what you received and heard and keep it or obey it. So remembering the teaching, getting back to what we were told this morning, getting back to the reality of the cross, to the sacrifice of Jesus, to his incredible self-discipline and uh, self-control and self-emptying, uh, in order to be a redeemer, in order to give us what we didn't deserve, and the reality of being purchased, belonging to being a new creation. Remember that. Go back to that teaching. Keep going back to that teaching. There's nothing new, there's nothing novel, there's nothing different that we can uh, bring to your attention. But go back to what once brought a smile to your face, which once thrilled your soul when you heard it, that message which was genuinely life-changing and transforming for you, which sometimes we have cast aside and no longer remember. Remember, thirdly, fourthly, uh, obey that. Um, keep it. Obey it. There's no contradiction between remembering and loving and being passionate and obedience. If you love me, you will obey my commands. It's kind of un... It's not hipster now to talk about obeying Christian uh, obeying in a Christian context it's just about feelings and moving forward in that kind of context and yet we have uh, this great self-control of the Holy Spirit that enables us to obey out of love, out of gratitude and uh, follow him these are the things that were missing from the church in Sardis you know the heart these were the heart matters they were forgetting, they were weak, they were asleep, they weren't obedient, and lastly, they weren't repenting. They weren't repenting in their lives. Now, we mentioned that at the beginning, uh, about the text in uh, Isaiah, and I think that does remain a critical part of our Christian lives, that we are people who are continually repenting, that we are coming back to the Lord, that we are recognizing our need, that we are not being bound and not being guilt-driven and not being held back by failure, but they were turning from it and being strengthened and being renewed. That is the glory of the gospel. There is no probation period 
we come back to him and we make a fresh start each day and we keep our accounts. As my, my old colleague in, in Roski and Kenny McDonald, my, my, own, my old boss, he used to say there, Derek, keep your accounts short, God. Keep your accounts short. Always be in his company. Always be in his presence. Always be repenting of the things that you know are taking you from and the only way we know them is as we are in him and in his word so he gives us that that fivefold cure steps that we take uh, in our christian lives uh, to deal with the the spiritual uh, tiredness weariness and deadness that so often invades our lives and that he was speaking about here in sardis and he says to them uh, the third picture uh, sorry, the second picture, the first is a doctor, the second is of a thief. And he says, remember and repent, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know the hour I come against you. And often in the letter to the seven churches, Jesus speaks by way of warning and uh, speaks um, about the importance of acting on his word. He says, if you don't act on my word, I am the great physician. I know you. And if you don't act on my word, he says, uh, don't expect nothing spiritually to happen as a result. Uh, if you remain unrepentant, if you shake your fist heavenward, or if you think, ah, doesn't really matter. Jesus says he will come as a thief. And the picture there is basically coming when you least expect him. And what does that mean? What is Jesus saying here? Um, Generally, the picture seems to be that he will come uh, in discipline on his own or ultimately in final judgment on those who have professed but uh, never truly repented and believed. And he says that he moves uh, on the basis of our inaction. And if we don't if we don't take his cure, which is simple and which is free and which is full and which is spirit-ordained, then he says the consequences are genuine for us. He will not let... If we are genuinely his and we are not acting on his word, then he will come into our lives in, uh, in a form of discipline like, as, a, as a loving father, but he will discipline us and he will come when we possibly least expect him to do so. Uh, churches, as we know, rise and fall. Uh, and we've seen that. We see that with the seven churches and uh, the lack of witness in these places today. And we've seen it in our own denomination over 100 or 200 years. We've seen it through history that churches rise and fall. We sit here this evening and St. Columbus is full here uh, at one level. It's tiny fullness. An insignificant fullness in many ways, but uh, churches rise and fall. And if we are leaning, at depending on our reputation as a church, on our preaching, on our leadership, on our membership, on our hospitality, on uh, our givings, on anything that might give us a reputation, we will fall. We will fall. Because churches rise and fall because Christ comes like a thief and will judge those that do not turn towards him how many churches do you know how many churches do you know that have been torn apart by bitterness and by cheating and by lying and by adultery and by backbiting in the leadership and membership 
by taking worldly principles and put, making them, uh, putting them into practice in the church. If we, if we don't recognise the need to be very different as a body because we are Christ's, then we will fall. And Christ is saying exactly that. He will come in judgment. He will come in discipline and he will not allow his church to be soiled uh, in this way. So he comes and he will come. And he comes into our own lives also as believers in discipline. He, he pulls us back. Sometimes brings uh, events into our lives or sometimes uh, it may be in a multiplicity of ways. But he he takes us and catches us and comes into our lives and disciplines us because he loves us. Father who loves his children. Don't despise the Lord's discipline but and may you enable it, him uh, to implement his cure through your obedient response to him. And lastly and very briefly he speaks about being the master of the roles. Uh, yet I have still a few names uh, in Sardis people who have not soiled their garments they walk with me in white for they are worthy one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. I will never blot their name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. It's kind of picture here of Christ as the holder of the book. You know, the great book of life. And, uh, and he points out to... In some of the other churches, uh, there's only a few that are making a mess of things and kind of like flies in the ointment. But in Sardis' case, it's only a few that are living the way they should be. And who are dependent on Christ, who are walking, and he's got this picture of them walking uh, with white clothes, and those who are worthy, and uh, those who overcome. And there is simply kind of uh, symbolic, uh, pictorial language of those who are living a committed Christian life from the inside out, who have uh, are following Jesus Christ from their hearts who recognize and who are alert and who are spiritual. It's not speaking about people who are worthy of themselves, people who will be uh, wrong sometimes, who are misguided sometimes, who will say the wrong thing, who make mistakes, uh, but who sorrow over sin, who are living a life of constant repentance, uh, who desire the fruit of the Spirit, and who live in the shadow of Calvary. And they are worthy because they are putting their faith and trust and hope in the one who is worthy. They are clothed with his righteousness and they are uh, those who will uh, live with and be with and will be confessed before the Father on that great day. And that's a really important thing. It's a really significant thing. Some people have asked, well, how can people's names be blotted out of the book of life? What happens about election and stuff like that? Well, uh, clearly we know that every believer... uh, Everyone who is truly elect, their names can never be taken from the book of life. We have that promise in scripture. But the, the challenge is here. The challenge here is for us who profess the name of Christ to live that profession and to remember the responsibility of what that means. And it may be that there are those, we know because the scripture says, there are those who profess the name of Jesus Christ but whose names are not in the book of life because they never allow their profession to go beyond the surface. It never reaches their hearts. And Jesus himself speaks of that, doesn't he? Um, when he says, uh, Lord, Lord, uh, there'll be those who say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do great things in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? 
Then we do amazing things in your name. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. And so there's that, the core reality of the gospel comes through here is, is this knowledge, not intellectual knowledge of God, but the knowledge of Christ uh, as Savior and as God, of God as Father. And so we recognize the importance of our identity being in Christ. Now, I, I find it hard to believe, but there may be some people who uh, are in danger of uh, resting their identity on their position in the church. Elders here, the fact that your name is on the roll of session is not what matters. Or members here, that you're on the roll of the membership, it's not what matters. Preachers, that you're on the roll of preachers, if there is such a thing, uh, you can be a castaway. And I can be a castaway. Uh, and it's not in our attendance or our belonging at that level. It is, is our name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And our name is in that book as we keep close to the Saviour of Calvary in our heart. Cause, and as we know him. Because he says, I know you. And that is the great thing, isn't it, about the Word of God? Is it that it kind of, it just pierces uh, into our uh, hearts and it moves beyond the surface and it moves beyond a, simply uh, listening or being a Christian uh, either on the surface or listening to the gospel for other people and the challenge always in the house uh, as we come to God's word and as we come to preaching is recognizing as I've, we've often said here is the activity that you've engaged in you are not passive as you listen to the word of God you Allow that word uh, to, uh, the light of that word uh, into your soul and you examine your heart and I examine mine as to our walk and that we will learn from the church in Sardis and that we learn not to be like the church in Sardis because I don't see any reason why this church can progress and grow and flourish and plant churches as long as we keep our eye and our heart on Jesus Christ. But that is the great challenge. Don't ever become proud. Don't ever think we are something when we're nothing in and of ourselves. And don't ever depend on people's reputation, either individually or as a church. And remember your leaders. Because as we plant churches and as we seek to reach out with the gospel, individually and as a church, we will be attacked. And you will be attacked. And the only safe place is in the shadow of Calvary. So please remember that and please be vigilant to take forward this week of prayer, which is the most important week we have. And it mustn't just be the week now and then the week in autumn. It must be bookends that just uh, engulf our, our Christian lives as a community in prayer and in honest, faithful Christian living. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for wisdom and grace and humility to learn from your word. We thank you for the simplicity of your word, which uses pictures that we can understand that are simple and clear, and uh, that you give us steps to spiritual health that we can all take. Forgive us when we um, resist these uh, steps. Forgive the um, intransigent of our hearts sometimes, and the selfishness and the pride uh, forgive our love of sin and 
the ease with which we rely on a surface walk with you. Give each of us that commitment to a personal uh, relationship with you that takes time and energy and is a priority in our lives. We always uh, make time for what we love. We always make time, Lord, for what is important to us. And may that be true, uh, ultimately, and as a matter of priority uh, of our Christian faith, that we make the time uh, to (coughs) develop our knowledge and our insight and our understanding and our walk with Jesus Christ as disciples. So help us, we pray. Uh, Remember us. We do crave conversions. We crave people to come to faith here and in uh, Cornerstone and in Eshbank and in Esh Valley, rather, uh, rather, and in uh, the Gospel Partnership churches and throughout the city and throughout the Free Church and throughout the the country, we crave uh, in these dark days the light of Jesus Christ to transform miraculously people's lives. Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. In the judgment that you bring on us, because of the misery and degradation of our hearts. Remember mercy and bring people to faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.